Welcome to our Ellie Mae open house. Instead of examining hardwood floors, closet space, and kitchen layouts, we're taking you on a tour of what's happening across today's mortgage industry. During each episode, we'll hear from industry leaders and subject matter experts to give us an inside look into a hot topic, cutting edge technology, or new trend that can help accelerate your digital journey. Thank you for joining us. Come on in. Alrighty, hello everyone. My name's Eric Quiella. I'm the uh, Product Marketing Director here at ICE Mortgage Technology. And today I'll be your host for today's Ellie Mays Open House. And with me today is Nolan Johnson from HPA, a cognizant company. And together we'll be kind of discussing robotic process automation, artificial intelligence, and ideally start dissecting and exploring where these things fit into the mortgage industry. So looking forward to the conversation. Nolan, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. And then before we jump in, I'm always kind of curious because I don't know about you, but I definitely did not go to school to be in the mortgage industry, but somehow I've been here for almost 20 years, which is really, really sad. <laughs> but how did you get into so, so I'm extremely happenstance as well. My degree is in economics. Uh, so maybe in some way I was, I was moving towards uh, some, some work in the mortgage industry, but I actually started my career in the healthcare industry, working for a large insurer in Minnesota where I'm from. So then I still like the thought of working in healthcare, but wanted to move from home and ended up at HPA as a healthcare automation company. About six months into my time at HPA, we got our first lender signed on. As a big triple capital L, lifelong learner, I jumped at the chance to expand my horizons, do something new, and take on a new challenge. So after the success of the first one, my practice kept growing, got larger and larger and more mature, and I took a more involved role. And now I'm talking in depth about Humda, MERS, UFMIP, <laughs> and all the other acronyms. And now, UFMIP, I like yeah. that. Yep. <laughs> and, now, and now we're here on the, uh, the Ellie Mae podcast, so my path kind of... Kind of just chose me. I think you lived up to the triple L. I'm kind of in the, in the same boat. Like I said, I I definitely did not go to school for this. Um, I think like we were talking about earlier, I went to school at Western, graduated, and actually started working in the airline industry for British Airways, doing like B two B sales. Yeah, no way. Very very strange. Yeah, and then and then it's going to get a little just a emotional here. House in the here, sky, right? That's right. <laughs> it's just a house in the sky. That's right. But uh, I, I at the time I was dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I had moved to Boston at the time. She was still living here in Michigan. And it kind of, it came to the point where I had to make a decision. So a buddy of mine actually called me up and said, Hey, I heard you're moving back to Michigan. You should come be a loan officer for this bank here and, and start doing that. And I was like, okay, I don't even know how to spell mortgage or anything like <laughs> yeah. that, but sure. Why not? I ended up being a loan officer at Flagstar for a long time. And then, and then that's it. I just became a branch manager and then a sales manager. And then they created a, a subsidiary called Doc Velocity way back in the day, which is now AIQ, right? Coincidentally. Yep. And like you kind of just said, hey, let's go for it and just kept jumping and jumping and jumping. And although I've never changed companies in 13 years, I've had five different owners. <laughs> so Stumbling into success. So. Stumbling into success, I guess. That's a, that's a good way. Blind squirrel. Is that the word? Yeah. So, so. Anyway, so why don't we go ahead and jump into the topic at hand here. So I think the first thing we can do, and I'm sure you guys run into this um, as I do as well, but it might make sense. There's a lot of buzzwords in the industry, right? RPA, AI, you know, machine learning, ML, those types of things. But let's take a chance if we can to kind of define like what is RPA, robotics process automation, the way you guys kind of define it uh, at HPA. So when we're starting off talking to to someone that doesn't necessarily know what, what RPA is, uh, we try to discuss it as something that's like trying to take the robot out of a human. So um, if someone's doing something repetitively and rules-based, so something that you can have like a desk level procedure for, we'll, 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 we'll talk them through that. So um, anything that can be automated from point A to point B uh, without stopping and can follow specific rules, 
um, is, is really how we would define like RPA in general. There's a lot of myths that go into what AI is, and we'll get into that later, I, must, I would assume. But RPA, from, from our perspective, is, is rote processing, rules-based, that's following set, a set path. Yeah. And how, I mean, how are you guys seeing it being applied, right? We have lots of examples and if you don't mind, I'll kind of use, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing on the LMA side of things is, you know, we get a lot of requests to automate a lot of the more difficult tasks in a process, but we're actually trying to to train them to kind of think a little bit differently and find the more, I don't want to use the word robotic, but the more mundane type repeatable tasks, you know, makes sense. But I was curious where you guys see it being applied. So Really, when, when we start talking to lenders, the first thing they want, especially on Encompass, is, is disclosures. So um, it's making sure that you have everything correct and proper before you order, generate, and send. It's the selecting the correct documents that are going to go with that package, and it's submitting those and sending those out to the, to the borrowers. So things like that where you have people at your processors or your disclosure desk performing these tasks potentially hundreds of times a day that we can come in and follow these rules that they're, they're, they're doing every single loan and, and essentially automate over that. So that's probably the first one that every single lender gravitates towards. But then you have everything from like just ordering functions on whether that's flood, fraud, validating AKAs, transferring MERS. But really, it's really things that happen on every loan, happen in the same way varying accounts where there's obviously some steps that need validation, but um, it's, it's definitely just following that path over and over again. I think it's, I think it's important note is that it happens on every loan the same way is probably an important kind of, you know, key for people to think of, because I know when, when we run into it, especially when we will talk about AI here in a, in a minute, but everyone always wants us to automate the more difficult tasks that yep. in, in our opinion are more subjective in nature and require expertise. Whereas, we're spending a lot of time training people to rethink the process and find, to your point, those things that are um, repeatable and performed the same way on every single loan or as many of the loans sure. as possible, right? A yeah. Lot, yeah, a lot of what I'm trying to do is is define the process in a way that we can capture as much as possible in the least amount of effort. So that Pareto analysis, that 80-20, a lot of them are coming with, with the 20% that we don't necessarily want. It's like it's going to be very tough to automate. And I'll, I'll, I'm trying to guide them to the, say, we're going to get a big lift by doing this 80 and it's going to take us way less time, way less effort. And it's going to cost you way less to automate those, those tasks rather than those 20% that are, are going to just crush your ROI. You're either going to suck up the time of all of your employees. It's much easier to capture that, that 80% than it is that 20 for sure. Sure. And it makes sense. I, I get why people ask for that 20%, yeah. right? Cause that's always viewed as like, I've got an underwriter in, in our case, right? I'm sure. sure we'll go through some of your examples, but I've got an underwriter that's spending, I'm going to make up a number, six hours evaluating self-employed income, right? And yep. they're like, I want to automate that, which makes sense because six hours is a lot. It's a single transaction, right? But it's also probably the most complex you know, process that they look at, right? How much data do you have to point, consume? Yeah. Like all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And then, but so again, to back to our point, the 80-20 rule, if we can get them back to that, the 80% that happens prior to that, that allows them to effectively work on that transaction. So it's interesting to see there's a lot of kind of, overlap between two. So specifically in the process though, right? You kind of mentioned repeatable steps and things like that. Is there, is there like a, something that you see that's, that's more common than others? Like, for example, is there more things in the front end of the process, whether it be sales or lead management uh, versus kind of the, let's call it the internal operations or back office type type scenarios as well. Do you see, do you see a lean either way uh, in these kind of technologies? We're, we're definitely moving more towards back office stuff. So 
because of the interaction with, with the people, especially on the lead side. So whether that be just varying emails or different, differing uh, functions that you're doing, you're kind of making those customizable to who you're sending it out to, which is RPA a bull. I don't think that's a phrase that we should be using, but it is now, it is now <laughs> my marketing people are going to get mad at me for that one. But so those, those tasks you're trying to customize to who you're sending it to uh, rather than just following like a road process. So in the back office, for each loan type or program, you're going to be doing things very, very similarly. So it's just going to be accounting for slight differences between those. But on that front end, it's capturing what they're saying back to you. So you're going to have to understand like natural language or it's, I mean, it's called call it cold calling. So capturing leads and a lot of LOs are, are capturing those leads in, in varying ways that don't necessarily lend themselves to a good RPA solution. Yeah. I mean, as far as, you know, obviously we, we all know the value that automating things that take manuals is, is obviously a good investment to make, right? But it's obviously kind of that delicate balancing act between what you're going to invest in it versus what you get out, right? The ROI behind yep. it. So what, what should a lender probably look for that was listening to this, uh, look for when kind of evaluating an ROI? Because there is some things that it, it just doesn't make sense to do it, right? Yep. For a thousand different reasons. But what kind of elements do you guys typically look for uh, when helping them kind of construct an element or a recommendation when they're trying to construct their ROI. Yeah. So when we're, when we're talking to lenders, um, a big, a big part of what we target is, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be the bodies. So like the most expensive part is, is paying someone. So what we'll try to do is lend them to on the, on the flip side of that. So like a little bit extra, it would be, does it benefit from like 24 hour processing? So rather than hiring out people to work late hours, because people are sending back and intent to proceeds at, 8 p.m. on a Tuesday, you don't have someone working at, at nine to, to process that. But if a robot can pick that up and, and keep processing, it's ready in the morning for the next step that happens when, when that person does come in. So you're not losing that, that lag time. So that's one of the, the big things is, is turnaround time for that. Menial carry, carry like a high overhead. So expensive people doing light work. So whether that just be a requirement for validating things in income or, or things like that, where you have a high, high paid underwriter doing a task that is really just a steer and compare task, or if, if it requires cures. So things that if, if this validation is incorrect and someone just missed it because we're human and we make a lot of mistakes, robots can look at one thing, compare it to another and, and make that distinction every single time and do it correctly. You're not going to be paying those, those cures out afterwards for missing specific fees or, or not having something that's included in that uh, in that package. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The, um, weighing of the turnaround time is something that, that people really need to kind of dive into, right. Is yep. like, okay, yes, I might be able to do this and throw an overseas resource at it or whatever the case might be is, but they're not going to have the turnaround times, right. They're not going to have the ability to either get it same day or within an hour, whatever those things might look at versus an SLA that you've got to negotiate and tackle through kind of an overseas type BPO type service. Yeah, and you're not um, and controlling think, that as, as much as you would with your with your RPA program as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're kind of bound. I mean, let's look at, at COVID, right? Let's just go back. I don't want to bring it up because I think it's <laughs> everyone's <laughs> everyone's sick of hearing it. They're gonna click, <laughs> off, click this podcast but, off after hearing about it. But <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it uncovered a lot of interesting points. Like a lot of these, you know, services, and we ran into it ourselves at Ali Manny's that you know we had these lockdown offices that people go to and, and they couldn't go there. They physically yep. couldn't go. They couldn't even go to our disaster recovery site because it was impacted the same way. Right. So it's an interesting kind of uh, dynamic between the two. And then the other one, the other, the other point I think you, you kind of 
which is extremely important, is the cost to cure, especially now, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. trade kind of trade kind of put that responsibility more on the lender than it ever has in in the past, right? So that cost to cure alone is you know could be worth kind of the ROI just just by looking at it. Yeah, it's, right? it's so. tough. To, it's tough to like calculate how many times that's going to be happening, but it's definitely something that you should be considering when you're looking at an RPA program that's going to be following a set path of rules. It's not going to miss anything where it, even if it gets missed a couple of times a month, you're, you're getting looking at significant issues there. So. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then so let, I'm going to change gears a little bit just to kind of uh, incorporate kind of the AI or the artificial intelligence portion of it. So, I mean, if you guys had to define kind of, you know, how AI and artificial intelligence um, can be applied to RPA. I'd be curious to hear that. I've got a couple of opinions myself, but yeah. Yeah. So it's really applied to enhance the robots capabilities behind beyond just A to B. So it's not following that set path or there's some data that needs to be consumed or something like that. So uh, in the mortgage industry, we've seen things like consumption of, of documents. So like Ellie Mae obviously is, is investing very heavily in that. And then, so giving a source of unstructured data, um, exception handling. So whether that's kicking out, if this is an issue, it's understanding that who it needs to get routed to. So it's making those decisions based on what the data is coming back as rather than just consuming that data and then just moving forward. Kind of how we see it is, especially in such a highly regulated industry, such as, as mortgage, a lot of people are very reticent to, to have the robot make decisions because... I mean, if it makes a wrong decision, we're looking at cures, which we're trying to, to avoid a, at all costs here. So what we try to do at HPA is, is get, a, get a signal and then essentially bring that signal back to us and then back to the team that's, that we're working with or the lender that we're working with so that they can make that decision to then go in and, and dev some more, validate that. But it's, it's trying to make decisions based on the positive, the negative, and then the white noise. So that's one of our big goals is is not necessarily to make the decision for you, but to make the decision a lot easier for you to make and how you want to move forward with it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also ask us, you know, can AI, artificial intelligence technologies and RPA, are they contingent on each other? Can they stand alone, you know, from each other and so on? I think the answer is kind of everything, right? I mean, yeah. you know, to your point, artificial intelligence technologies, at least for the most part in the industry today are really in that unstructured captured or unstructured data capture and kind yep. of normalization and rationalization of it. Right. And then RPA is basically using that normalized and rationalized data to help make, you know, decisions, not decisions, but help rules-based decisions. That's I would say. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. But, but they can act independently. You can have an, a robotic process, you know, in, in place that doesn't require an artificial intelligence kind of front end and, and vice versa. You can have artificial yep. intelligence, technologies that are doing things for you that you can then pull and use in different in different processes in, yeah in like we're seeing that a lot with under, there's a lot of underwriter tools that are that are helping uh those people that are, that are using a, what we would call ai because they're consuming that data and sending it back for a person to be doing rather than a robot to make those decisions so yeah i think there's very much a symbiotic relationship between the two for sure right in, in an ideal world they they, they definitely complement each other and i think it's important for lenders to kind of look at that and say okay I hear this buzzword. I hear this buzzword. Are they standalone? Can they yep. work together? And then what are those things? And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but we spend quite a bit of time um, just helping people walk through that analysis and that, that education process is probably the biggest thing between the two. So, yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely agree. It's, it's a big, a big part of our selling process is helping them understand what, what they're getting 
and how much of it is, is going to be RPA and how much of it is like is AI, whether they think it's AI or we're like, no, it's not AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because people sit there and they'll, they'll actually convolute the two in many yep. cases. Like they'll say, oh yeah, we want to apply artificial intelligence to automate this little task that we've got going on. It's like, well, it, it, it's kind of what it's for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have to kind of help you know, walk them down this path and elaborate kind of what those two are and how they're actually kind of applied to the process. So exactly. we've got just a couple minutes left here, but I want to kind of touch on, you know, some things, any recommendations that you have for, you know, the lenders that might be listening to this on, on, you know, how to shop for these types of technologies, right? Obviously HBA's, you know, in the business of this, but you know, what should, what should lenders kind of look for? Yeah. So I think, Really, there's about three three different options that you, you're looking at with when you're shopping for RPA solutions. So you can go the licensed RPA route and hire developers to develop it. That's going to give you the most control. You're going to be able to do what you want, automate what you want, figure it out, control that automation and have it in-house at all times. It's more expensive. I'll tell you, as a, as a service provider, we get more people coming to us after having that route than, than anything else. It's tough. You need to keep throwing resources at it. And one of the things that we always say is the most expensive part of your automation program is going to be the maintenance. RPA is, is definitively fragile. So anytime a system changes like this weekend when LMA goes to 20.2, this is going to get posted later on, but that's okay. Let this last weekend, yeah. then anytime your process changes, you need to update the RPA. So you have to keep the devs in house. You have to have them working on this and, that's that unplanned work that you don't want to be be going forward with that is going to get in the way of the planned RPA program that you can keep going. Yep. You can also buy a licensed tool, but hire a consulting firm to come in and, and automate it. That's going to give you a good amount of control because you're still going to own it, but you're kind of at the mercy of that consulting company with the fees. What, what are they charging for? What are they going to continue charging you for? And how is their maintenance model work? So lastly, I'll give you the disclaimer again. I work for a service company and we are going to give you probably the least amount of control. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. We own the automation. You own the process that we're automating, but it's our automation engine. We're going to come in essentially as a, as a service, walk through all, everything that you're doing, automate that on our end, deploy it to your, your environment um, based on the, the, the structure that you guys have, have defined. But what you're getting is the most recent software so there's no licensing fees for upgrades or for going to the next version of tool consistency and the expertise that we we provide. So we do this all the time. We have reusable code that is going to be the baseline for all of that stuff. But we all and we also own it when it breaks. So it's it's on us to step One up. Throat and, the yep, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. If it's breaking, we're we're panicking because we get paid when only when it works. So right. it's it's definitely a, a collaborative effort, and you do need to provide some resources as well just to support that. But it it is a much more consistent solution from what we've heard from everyone that's come to us later on and deployed with us because it is so important for us to have it working and we have that expertise. Yeah. So it, it really is a choice. Definitely falls into the category of build versus buy analysis, right? Sure. And kind of all the pros and cons around each one. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So, so I, I saw, I know we're getting a little bit short on time, but I want to kind of ask one more question. I know neither one of us um, could have predicted anything. I don't think anybody could have predicted what happened no. this year, but if no. you had to look into a crystal ball, what do you think 2021 kind of looks like, you know, for the industry itself? So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'll start with a, Regar this. regardless of the election. Cause we don't want to bring that yeah, up either. No, so. <laughs> no, we're, we're not getting, we're not going to, we're going to let them finish this episode without thinking about that. And without, co without COVID, oops, the rates, it sounds like they're going to stay low. 
it's been the big signal is, is that it's not going to be going up. So uh, should keep keep the industry moving a little bit, even with all of the craziness that's been going on. But we'll see. But we, I think we might see uh, some more refis just because of if if the unemployment rate is and all these things they need to get get quick cash. Then I think staffing decisions are going to be really important. So what we're looking for is, is remote work is here definitely to stay. Can you keep your offices? Are you going to let people work from home? Are you going to do a little bit of hybrid? How are you going to make the decisions based on staffing? Well, how technology is going to fall into that? So I think there's going to be a significant investment in, in technology uh, in 2021, because I think it kind of hedges against all of the things that we've seen in 2020, that those, those unknowns that that are coming up. And I think it lends well to, to scaling as well. Th- those are my predictions. I mean, again, 2021 yeah. might be as crazy as 2020 and you can, <laughs> you can tell me that I'm an idiot later on, but uh, that's what I've got no. for you. No, for sure. I, I, I actually agree. I think remote remote workforce is definitely, is, is definitely sticking around. Um, there was a McKinsey study we looked at a week ago or a week or two ago that shows that as it's going to change kind of B2B sales going forward, which I, I completely agree. And I, I think you're right. Everyone's going to have the staffing question, right? They've spent the better half of this year ramping up to help kind of, you know, tackle a lot of this unprecedented volume. Yep. And, uh, you know, eventually things start to flatten out. So there's going to be some, you know, some hard decisions to be made probably in 2021, probably 2022 realistically is what's going to happen. So appreciate it, Nolan. Thanks for the time today. Of course. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. Uh, this is the uh, another episode of LMA Open House. My name is Eric Quiela, Director of Product Marketing. And uh, Nolan, thanks for joining us today from HPA, a cognizant company. Appreciate it. Thank you.